And that's why I believe in you because that is the greatest purpose. It's to love. Honest. It's to, it sounds corny. Whatever you want to say, I don't care. I love people because there is freedom and power in loving people. Hello, all you positive heads out there. Thanks for tuning your beautiful brainwaves into another episode of the Positive Head Podcast, where we have the crazy belief that creating success and happiness is a daily conscious effort, which is why we provide you with a fresh serving of soul food for thought five days a week. I'm your host, Brandon Beecham, and each and every Wednesday, you can tune in to hear me interview a different consciousness changemaker that is out there working tirelessly to help catalyze change and expand awareness all across Spaceship Earth. On the other four weekdays, you can tune in to myself and my co-host, Dalian, giving interpretations of our favorite thought-provoking quotes, sharing a bit of inspiring or mysterious news, taking questions from the audience, and digging into any other mind-expansive topics that will help keep your soul fed by tuning you into positive vibrations on a regular basis. All right, all you positive heads, today we have something very special in store for you all. I'm thrilled to announce that in collaboration with our friends from one of my all-time favorite transformational festivals, Lucidity, between now and April, we'll be bringing you a special edition podcast each and every week showcasing a different workshop from one of the past Lucidity Festival gatherings. We're doing this in support in anticipation of the fifth chapter in the epic journey that is Lucidity Festival called Crossroads, which is coming up April 8th through 10th, 2016 in Santa Ynez, which is located right next to Santa Barbara, California, at the beautiful Live Oak Campground. Also, as if the magic that is Lucidity Festival wasn't already enough, this year the Lucidity team is stepping up their game and doing something extra special by launching their very first ever Lucid University Course Week. The Lucid University Course Week will provide a variety of three-day intensive trainings on-site at Live Oak Campground April 4th through 6th, with the classes taking place while Lucidity Festival itself is being set up and built. These dynamic courses are designed to offer immersive educational experiences resulting in certifications of completion for students interested in five general areas of study to choose from. You've got spirit works, community works, earthworks, creative works, and body works. They have a really strong curriculum with excellent instructors where you can learn everything from Reiki to lucid dreaming to permaculture uh, design and more. The hardest part for me is honestly just choosing which class and certification I would like to pursue because they all sound so juicy. Bottom line, this truly is a rare opportunity to learn from experts in a unique and exciting environment that will inevitably be alive with the buzz and anticipation of the imminent festivities. As far as cost goes, well, that varies depending on how much lucidity goodness you want to sign up for. But whatever you do decide, you'll want to move quick because Lucidity Festival always sells out. And I imagine the available Lucidity University seats are going fast too. So head over to lucidityfestival.com to check out all the options. And be sure to use the code POSITIVEHEAD, all one word, to get a $10 discount off any and all tickets. 
All right, without further ado, this week's Lucidity Workshop episode is called Holonomic Perspective with speaker Stephen Ellinger. Stephen has over 25 years of experience in finance, and he is passionate about what could be termed sacred commerce and economics. In this talk, he discusses the emerging global spiritual transformation of humanity and how that is reflected in our economic systems at every level from local transactions to global ventures. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, lovers and lucidites, welcome back to the Fishbone Study Hall here at Lucid University. I'd like to present our next speaker, Mr. Sean Michael Ellinger II, with his presentation, Holonomic Perspective. Let's give him some love, everybody. So, uh, welcome to this presentation of the Holonomic Perspective. Uh, this is a presentation that I've developed uh, from an article of the same name uh, that's going to be published next month in a book called Re-Inhabiting the Village. Uh, so, keep your eyes out for that that publication. Yeah, it's on the and, and the article you can find on the Lucidity blog as well. So, if you want to do a deeper read after this presentation, you can go back to the Lucidity blog and check that out. So my name is Stephen Michael Ellinger II, and I'm very grateful to be here at Lucidity this year and have an opportunity uh, to share this perspective that was given to me a couple years ago in Dream Lodge. And uh, those of the those of you that are lucid dreamers and pay attention to those messages that come through and actually start applying those to make that dream awake. Uh, this is one of those dreams that's awakening uh, in my direct experience. And what's been unique about this dream is it, it weaves right in with all of the life experiences I've had. And so this is a new perspective on economics uh, for those of you that are wondering what this is. And um, so we're, we're going to dive into that a little more deeply here. And uh, suffice it to say, I've, I've walked in many different domains in my uh, economic life, both as an individual and as a professional. Uh, I've raised millions of dollars for entrepreneurial ventures, uh, co-founded an environmental media company that I raised $29 million to build to, to bring a new economic model to the planet, uh, for the planet, which was to fund large-scale environmental environmental initiatives at no cost to the taxpayer and to work with municipalities to get them the required funding they need to actually carry out those projects and to get off of the endless penalties and fines that the state and federal EPA uh, had been uh, you know putting municipalities under and so uh, that's part of my background I've been consulting with early stage companies for about eight years now and so a diverse industry background in terms of how people are co-creating in the world. And I started integrated management consulting eight years ago because uh, I felt up at that point there were two parts to my life. There was my spiritual life. I was having these awakenings that started when I was 25. And there was my business life. And I felt like the two were kind of distinct worlds. I felt like the business world really didn't know too much about spirituality and the spiritual life had a 
kind of an affront against the business world. There was like this suspicion about the business world, that the business world was corrupt. And there were dark forces at work within the business and commerce worlds, and therefore the two really didn't mix. They didn't mix in my life, and there certainly wasn't a lot of evidence of them mixing in the, in the world, although there's more evidence of that today than ever, uh, which I'm grateful for. But my curiosity about business mastery principles as those related to spiritual mastery principles started to mature. And so this is, I believe, an emanation of that journey, that curiosity that we're all born with. We're all born curious. And I had this deep curiosity because I was in the business world, but I was simultaneously having these spiritual awakenings. And it was like, well, wait a minute. How, where do these two connect? Where's the connection? So this is part of my journey, and I'm really excited to share it with you. So we're in evolutionary times. And... Um, there's a lot of changes going on. Conventional economics are being questioned. All, all forms of new economies are, are sprouting up, sharing economies, gift economies, caring economies, and we'll, we'll, we'll dive into a, a few of the other ones. But uh, it's, you kind of have to be blind and not notice that the, the status quo of, of transactional economics uh, is, not, is not really fulfilling to the human spirit and the human family, and so we're devising new new models of, of how we relate to each other uh, economically. Um, how co-creation is funded. Uh, we're seeing the rise of crowdfunding. We're you know, seeing uh, uh, micro-loan programs. We're seeing all, all forms of different ways that co-creation is getting funded now. Barter, trade, all, you know, it, almost any variant of that you're starting to see come into play to birth these new ideas, these new models for cooperation. And our relationship to money is changing. Money as uh, a conventional form uh, of energy exchange is going through an evolutionary change itself. We're seeing cryptocurrencies and alternative currencies and yin-yang currencies. And, and uh, you know, again, the, the different ways that, that money is being articulated through different rewards programs and participation points and karma credits and you name it. There's, there's a whole myriad of ways in which we're redefining our relationship to money. But most importantly, the hallmark of these evolutionary times, I believe, is, is in our relationship to one another, how we're relating to one another. And I'm going to delve a little bit further into that, because at the heart of economics, I really believe that's what it's about. It's about relationship. So for me, what I'm observing is there's a return and a movement towards something that feels more aligned, uh, something that feels more resonant something that feels more honoring, something that's more fulfilling, more liberating, more sustaining for all participants. It's not the few and the many, it's for all. So that's, I feel that that's the cry of humanity when it comes to our relationship to economic principle and how we navigate forms of exchange and bring those back into some level of equilibrium and sustaining balance uh, in our lives. So to me, there's a newly forming arc and uh, of value creation. Uh, in the traditional business school, they call it the value chain. You know, 
know, you start with raw materials, you got a schematic, you might have some intellectual property that gives you exclusive rights to produce this widget, and you package that widget, you market that widget, you get distribution contracts, you get it into retail outlets or B2B, you know, distribution pathways, and you monetize that creation. And but I believe that there's a new new arc of creation that's that's being developed uh, and, and being stood up and being evaluated right now. And especially the underlying economic premise of how that, that arc of creation is happening. For me, I call that the Holonomic perspective. What is that? What is this new new evolutionary view of economics? So let's take a little bit of a breakdown of this, for me, well, what's holonomic? Uh, holo, if we look at the definition of holo, it's a it's a combined form meaning whole or entire. So, for me, uh, I felt that the traditional uh, definitions of of economics themselves were lacking; that they weren't really taking the entire picture into account. Uh, here, entire accounting systems are accounting for. Uh, you know, certainly the monetary movement of energy, but there was so many pieces that I felt like were not happening. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a finance guy by profession, and it's like, for me, even the construct of an income statement and balance sheet started to have flaws. I was like, a balance sheet is, is really, what is that based in? You know, assets? Why do we need to accumulate assets? You know, to save for a rainy day because we're afraid, you know, the rug's going to get pulled out from us. You know, liabilities, you know, which is like debt and essentially is an enslaved leverage state, you know, of being liable to others. You know, we're selling our, selling ourselves out in order to, to make our thing happen. And then equity, again, is another possession that this is mine, right? So there's a part inside of me, I won't say it's all of me, but there's a part inside of me that would, could kind of envision a future where the balance sheet was abolished. Like, let's do away with this, these, these boxes where we're trying to amass this perception of wealth that's all based in a monetary perspective, that's all based on uh, profit and, and distorted, incomplete aspects of value. So I'm going to speak a lot about value because I feel like that's a lot of what's missing. So to holo something is to really take a larger perspective, obviously. And we're seeing the holoing out of a lot of different models in society. One of those is the holographic living model. And this is a beautiful organizational design uh, that companies like Zappos have incorporated uh, through Holacracy, which is another offering. And these are organizations that are offering these templates to uh, organize differently, to come into different governance models, to uh, come into levels of cooperation that are based in integrity, based in authenticity and accountability and transparency, uh, core values that I'm going to speak into more deeply in a little bit here. So holoing is happening, right? And I, th for me, I look at holo and I go whole. Yeah, wholeness, this return to wholeness. I think we all want to feel a part of something and feel complete or whole in, in that connectedness. Um, 
Economics, I'm gonna share with you kind of a conventional definition of economics. You probably all remember this definition from school maybe, if you took your requisite economics class. Uh, we're here at the university, so we're gonna re-examine that definition. But, you know, it's more, it's a social science, uh, studies how individuals, governments, organizations, nations make choices on the allocation of resources to satisfy unlimited wants. So this is the conventional definition of economics. It's broken into two kind of subclasses, microeconomics, which focuses on the individual's relationship to resource, and then there's the larger macroeconomics, which is focusing uh, uh, on the larger uh, organizational and societal constructs of economics and how resources are being applied uh, in a macro sense. Let's take a look at economics history. Uh, economics as a science, it's te technically classified as a science, it's a social science. Uh, you can see that it's certainly at the macro level, it's implications for society, right? Uh, when you start adopting certain monetary policies or certain bank regulations or certain SEC policies for how and how you can't raise money for your creative endeavor, uh, you start to realize, oh, wow, there's a whole bunch of social governance uh, around uh, economics. And um, it's actually part of a whole family of social sciences, right? I mean, so this chart kind of breaks, breaks down most of the social sciences, which, you know, many of us have taken courses in this. Some of us have specialized in some of these and really have developed mastery in any one of those sciences. And so deep appreciation and bows to anybody that kind of opens up their perspective to a larger uh, body of work that's really looking at how effectively we're, we're operating uh, in these different domains. Um, for me though, the real telltale sign is I did my history uh, research on economics was it was born out of political science. And so when you look at how economics is is affecting humanity today, you and, and I go back to the history, it's, it was born out of political science, it's that political science, you know, uh, as we especially see it in our country today, is, you know, kind of co-opted. The corporations, and we're, we call it a corporatocracy even. It's like, well, the, the, the political environment is, is influencing the economic environment. And, uh, and to me, that has a lot to do with its roots. Economics roots were in political science. So it makes sense that threads of that, that origin would maintain and sustain themselves through the evolution of our relationship to economic structures and, and how we have evolved economically uh, you know, as humanity. Um, but I'd like to plans an invitation for all of you. I'd like for you to widen your lens, widen beyond the limited definition that I just presented to you, and I'd like you to widen that lens, and I invite us all to deepen our focus. So it's both and. We need to widen our lens to get that more holographic perspective, but we also need to deepen our focus because there's certain aspects within the relationship to life and resource uh, that need to be more deeply understood and felt. And ideally, 
This is a, a, a huge piece of our relationship to being on this planet. So it's reestablishing that relationship to Mama Gaia, Pachamama, however you refer to her. Um, but this, this relationship to Matur, or Mother, as one of my dear teachers, Lee, likes to refer to her, uh, this is, you know, the marriage of spirit and matter, right? And to me, this is the marriage that creation, uh, you know, and why economic systems and monetary structures and stuff exist, because there's some way to, how do we, how do we do that, you know? Exchanging a cow for 450 pound bags of rice is a little cumbersome. So, um, you know, we needed some way to exchange and monitor that. So we're going to take a closer look, but the invitation is to, is to do this. And then once you've done that opening of your lens and deepening of your focus, you can incorporate that vision into the design, implementation, operation, and evaluation of creation itself. So all of us are creators, we're, and some of us are more deeply in touch with that, but the truth is, is we're great creators, we're all creations of creation, and we're all creators. And so every time you have an epiphany or an idea or a, 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 an impulse to offer your unique gifts, because each of us is truly unique of creation, uh, then, uh, we're a vibrant part of this economy now, right? Because we've we've inserted our gifts, right? So underlying this economic premise that I presented is this thing called choice, and uh, this seems to be part of the human journey as well. It's it's maybe the hallmark of the human journey, according to some, is that we were born into a free will state, so to speak, right? That. We have the freedom to choose. We get to choose how we spend our dollars. We get to choose which side of the bed we want to wake up on. We get to choose where we want to give our life energy uh, to in our life. And the question is, is where are we making choices from? Are we making choices from the systems and rule sets that were in existence prior to our birth? Or are you making choices from a sovereign state of divine creativity within your own being? And depending on the types of choices we're making, a bigger question is where do these choices lead? If I make choices based on greed or selfishness or uh, something less than enlightened self-interest, uh, how is that going to impact the whole? You know, we hear a lot of talk from the indigenous elders that are here about our future generations and you know how do our choices today uh, affect uh, the future of our species and the relationship to other species on this planet and to the planet itself I'm going to explore some other definitions that are in this domain because I find it there's actually an unlocking of a bit of a of a mystery of sorts of why there's this kind of angst when it comes to economics in humanity's life. And let's look at the definition of economy. So an economy is the arrangement or mode of operation of something, a system of interaction and exchange. So that's an actual economy. As juxtaposed against economics, 
which economics is really a breakdown of, of, of resource on how to allocate limited resource against unlimited want. So to me, that premise right there has challenges because it sets up a, a mode of scarcity and it almost makes, when we say unlimited wants, it almost makes us shameful because we want so much, but we can't have it, so to speak, because of limited resource. So this construct of economics has a lot of limiting uh, capacities to its structure and that trickles into what we call economies and how economies are stood up and how exchanges uh, take place. Uh, there's in the finance world where I come from the language of capitalization. I'm going to capitalize on this. I'm going to leverage this particular financing. I'm going to arbitrage this deal so that I can bring risk out of it, right? I mean, these are the kind of language sets that dominate the larger financing constructs uh, that fund large-scale initiatives uh, on our planet today. And a lot of these are being governed and chasing, you know, their quarterly 10Q report if they're a public organization, and that's making things challenging. So that's an economy, and for me, an economy involves these interactions and exchanges, including the forms of interaction and exchange, all are done under an agreement field. There's all these agreements we agree to operate under. We agree to use dollars, for example. But who said, you know? And how dollars work, uh, and, and, and how banking works, and, and all this. It's, it's like there's this agreement field. So for me, I look at uh, all the choices that went into the operating systems of our current economic environment, both individually and collectively, both at the micro and the macro level, and another kind of challenge we have is that a lot of the agreements that are in place were agreements that were made prior to our coming here before we were born, before we had enough awareness to even realize those agreements were in play. And then we start to have insights that, wow, there's some of the terms of those agreements that I don't exactly resonate with. I don't, they don't really feel good, actually. They don't feel good at all. And, but I don't really know how to change that, you know? And there's activism, you know, there's Occupy, there's a lot of different, ways to kind of call out the hypocrisy of some of the agreement fields that have evolved uh, over time. But the, for me, I'm really, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Gandhi, right? He wasn't against British rule, he was for Indian sovereignty, right? So it's just like, how about economic sovereignty? It's not about taking down the existing systems, it's about creating new systems that offer bridges uh, for the old systems to to transition to hospice and for us to midwife new systems and new cooperations and new ways uh, to define economics in our lives and to come under a new agreement field ultimately and then there's the definition of economical so economical is avoiding waste or extravagance so for me I look at uh, this combination of of economics and economical, and you know, 
there's when I go without waste or extravagance, it, it puts us into a different relationship with resource, right? We're not just extracting resource, you know, for personal gain or collective gain. We're in a deep honoring of the resource and where it came from. So there's a connectedness to the resource if you're being economical, right? You're, you're kind of in right relationship with resource, whether that be raw materials or coworkers, or, or ideas or whatever, whatever is going into the mix of creation. So for me, there's, a, there's an opportunity as part of this invitation to, to resource our relationship to resource, uh, that we need to come into right relationship with resource. And that would invite a more economical approach to economics, you know, this allocation of resource. So in terms of diving deeper into what holonomics is, there's some holonomic perspectives that I'd like to share. And these are, this is a, really a collective of perspectives, uh, which anything that's holoed out, of course, is going to represent that. It's not any one perspective, it's a collective of perspectives. And uh, these are ever progressive and they're restorative. So they're taking us forward and they're restoring the old, uh, guiding us toward what's possible. And some of those that have come along by some of the enlightened teachers and pioneering thought leaders and futurists uh, include things like multiple bottom lines, where I think most of us, uh, we'd have to live in a cave not to hear about triple bottom line. You know, we move out of just profit-centric thinking into people, planet, and profit, or people, planet, and prosperity is another way that's looked at. Um, one of our colleagues at the Global Alliance for Conscious Economics uh, she speaks to it uh, as the fourth bottom line, and so does sacred, the movement of sacred commerce. They talk about the fourth bottom line of love, that restoring love as the fourth bottom line. Um, there's uh, money as love, that money is actually a form of a vehicle to exchange love and appreciation. So actually redefining what money is. There's, there's a movement uh, of redefining money. Uh, there's gift and compassion economies. So uh, those of us that are Burning Man experienced, we know that Burning Man creates a, a temporary autonomous zone uh, to allow us to have the experience of what it would be like to live in a gift-based economy, where literally we're gifting our resources to one another on an ongoing basis. And we get to experience that for a week, and it feels amazing, right? It feels amazing to give, and it feels amazing to receive. So there's whole movements around gift and compassion economies uh, that have been happening. Uh, there's a whole movement toward looking at top-line economics. What's coming in at the top? How are we defining revenue? You know, what, what constitutes value in terms of the exchange itself and what's coming in at the top? Uh, there's movements toward balancing currency models. Uh, but the currencies we mostly are familiar with are, are Yang-based currencies, mostly patriarchal-based uh, currencies. The dollar is a Yang currency. Uh, but the compassion or caring economies are introducing Yin-based currencies. So really, this goes along with the return of the divine feminine, right? So the feminine qualities of current, of flow. She knows more about flow and current than we do. 
and yet the economic constructs of monetary policy have a lot, a lot of rigid masculine type structure to them and don't allow for that divine feminine flow to actually happen. So there's a whole movement, uh, Bernard Lettier out of France in Europe, he lives in Belgium now, but he's a big mover and shaker in inviting this balancing of the types of currency models that we're using. Um, cooperative and general models, right? So we have CSA models in the agriculture world. We've, you know, we've got all these cooperative uh, models and templates for, for how we can come into a more sharing type based economy. Uh, and there's what Lynn Twist at the Soul of Money Institute calls radical sufficiency. It's not about abundance. Abundance is almost a pendulum swing from lack and limitation and scarcity. Uh, but radical sufficiency. Imagine if everything that you needed or wanted was made available to you when the need or want arose, right? And that the community uh, would support that, that the economic uh, system that we lived under actually allowed for if somebody had a situation or a big ticket item, that the community would support that when that need arose and that all of our needs are, are met. Uh, right on time, all the time. And that's that's radical sufficiency. Um, some other models, uh, barter and trade, we're probably all fairly familiar with that. Uh, that's going on here at Lucidity. Lucidity incorporates a number of different uh, alternative uh, economic approaches. Uh, certainly, volunteerism is 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 very evident here. You know, the Save Up programs. You know, there's this exchange of volunteering in exchange for a ticket or meal tickets or shower tickets or you know. Different, different ways that that's happening. Uh, alternative currency models, you know, the Bitcoins, the cryptocurrencies that are starting to show up in the, in the planet, uh, sharing economies, you know, the Airbnb models, the, the Lyft and Uber, you know, transportation models that are starting to show up where we're sharing our resources, right? We're no longer paying top dollar for uh, existing infrastructures uh, that are built under old paradigm, but we're actually sharing our resources. And there's sacred commerce, which is a whole movement toward reintegrating emotional intelligence into our economies, where actually we're, we're bringing our emotional uh, barometer into the exchange. That that's actually more important than the exchange itself, is the integrity of, of, of the emotional state of all parties involved and all parties whom that transaction or exchange will impact. Um, this is part of the movement of the B Corp, some of the B Corp movement. Uh, you know, Casey, who used to be a Patagonia, uh, I spent some time at the Conscious Leadership Connection with him, and, and he, he talked about the link he had to go to assure that every uh, resource and exchange was done at the highest levels of emotional sensitivity. And the primary governing core value of Patagonia is love is this loving is this loving to the raw material is this loving to the people who are harvesting that growing that is this you know is this loving toward the manufacturers is this loving you know toward their families and uh, so sacred commerce delves into that quite deeply and then uh, the zeitgeist movement is quite popular known for resource-based economics so really really refocusing on, on the resource itself and, and focusing there. And then there's movement of sacred economics, people like Charles Eisenstein and Eileen Workman, who 
who have both written books uh, titled Sacred Economics. And they're, they're offering uh, new perspectives on how to look at economics. So what I'm speaking into is not something that's uh, not happening. It's like I'm speaking of something that's happening, and if you're not aware of some of these terms, I invite you to explore them more deeply. Uh, you can, you know, if you're called to any of this terminology, just do a Google search, and you'll you'll be surprised that there's there's whole evolutionary thinking, and more importantly today, and why I'm here to talk is the ap application. Like, oh great, we have this progressive and innovative way of looking at things. But how do we start to activate that in our experience? And so for me, I've really narrowed it down to core values. A lot of people, if you've been involved in uh, business life, there's this exercise that a lot of companies go through called vision, mission, and values. You do visioning work, and you define your mission statement. Then there's a set of core values that kind of govern how the organization goes about things. And so for me, the holonomic perspective is dedicated to rooting itself in core values. Um, and these are universal core values, and that there's an opportunity for us to see root our economic models in core values. Um, and these core values, like I said, are universal, that they resonate with all of life. Uh, they're not really questioned. I mean, if I say, would you like to buy products and services from a company that incorporates love into every exchange, how does that feel to you? you know, does that feel good to know that that company is incorporating a loving perspective into everything they do? I know it does me. I like to know that, that, that they're not using slave labor in some third world country to extract resources in a harmful or cruel way to the earth and, and uh, you know it's like well wait a minute that can that can be totally different and I believe that you know there's a lot of movements toward toward awareness and making choices from there so uh, this is a new this provides us when we root ourselves in core values it, is, it, it, it gives us a new basis for ascribing value how do we value something how do you value your resources. We had a breakout session yesterday in a sacred economics panel, and the, the breakout group that I had the privilege to facilitate, when we asked that question there, they were like, well, what's value, what's resource, and who am I? Who am I to say what value needs to be, and who am I to say what, a, what is a resource here? And so the holonomic perspective is inviting us to open up that dialogue and open up that perspective to allow us to uh, find where the universal connection is, which I believe is at the root, you know, like an aspen grove. To have a vibrant, healthy, balanced economic system requires us to have a deep-rooted connection to the core values that are underpinning that economic system. And if it's not, then it's disconnected. That agreement field is broken because there's people participating in the economy that weren't part of creating the agreement or don't understand the core values of why those agreements were made. So it, it lacks continuity. So a new generation comes in and they go, what is this? This is a mess, you know? The millennials look around and go, why did I sign up for this? This is kind of nutty, you know? 
And so um, for me, this comes back into a profound honoring and respect, you know, for all the participants and all the resources that go into co-creation and that create economies, ultimately. So what's holonomics? For me, it's an economic whole systems perspective that's seeded, rooted, and deeply connected to vibrancy of universal core values, promotes the emergence of new and adaptive systems of governance, operation, interaction, and exchange that provide harmony, true balance, and an innate and generative prosperity for all. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's the holonomic perspective. And yeah, it resonated deeply for me when it came through. And uh, most of the people I speak to about it, it resonates for them as well. I'm having the privilege right now, I'm working on two projects where these perspectives are being implemented. And uh, uh, one of them is a, is a land-based initiative to create a permanent transformational village uh, that hosts transformational events, but has an existing ongoing community uh, to it uh, called Delphi uh, over in Nevada. And then I'm working uh, with Patrick, who's in the back here, and uh, we're working on a collaborative tool set uh, to really unleash people's creativity into an environment that's anchored in core values. And that those co core values uh, really speak to how they participate and, and how, how that regenerates throughout the whole ecosystem. And so having a lot of fun taking download so to speak and translating that into real-world business models um, so for me the question is is how do we do this right how do you do that's my tagline for holonomic right it's how do you do how do you do like it's an old world kind of courtesy greeting how do you do nice to meet you you know and um, but the bigger inquiry for me is how do you do well how do you do this you know, if core values resonate for you and you have a set of core values and uh, you recognize when those are in play and when they're not, um, how, how do we come together? How do we co-create under a common set of core values? Uh, how, how, how do we go about doing that? And for me, the first thing is to define some core values. And so I'm going to share with you some of my core values just to see see if how you connect with your own personal core values and core values that may be part of some of the progressive organizations that you're a part of and, and uh, have been invited into co-creation uh, and projects that you're, you're actively involved in. One of those is authenticity and to do things authentically uh, is, is a super vibrant one for me. Um, another one is clarity, that things are done with clarity, that we don't that we don't operate out of confusion or or distortion, that we actually enter into engagement with one another from a place of clarity, that we're not confused. Um, another one is collaboratively, that we do things collaboratively. We move out of the hierarchical models into collaborative models. Holacracy is a collaborative model. Holographic living model is a collaborative model. These are collaborative ways of, of co-creating so that each of our divine gifts can come together to create something greater than the sum of the parts, right? That's, that's the beauty of collaboration. Because each, each of us is a divine gift unto ourself and unto each other. Creatively, uh, like uh, to have creativity be always part of it, to allow new ideas to birth. And that's a core value that I feel is, is vital to a holonomic uh, organization. Um, 
generatively, that whatever we do, that it's generative, that it's not reductionist, that it's not depressing, it's not subjugating, that it's not, uh, you know, it, it's not restricting, right? That it's generative. So whatever we do, it actually opens up greater possibility, greater fulfillment. That what we do is inspiring, right? That we're doing things inspiringly, right? So it's uplifting all the time. That we're inspirations to one another. We're not adjutants. We're inspirers. And then we do it integrally, right? Ken Wilber has, you know, reams and reams of <laughs> pontification about integral theory. But, you know, to do things integratively means that we're taking more into account. It, it very much parallels a holonomic perspective, is to do something integrally. And to bring in our intuition, that there are other guidance systems that we as humanity have available to us beyond our intellect. That there are intuitive faculties and a deeper listening that we as a species can tap into that help guide us and that we honor that, that we value that. We actually value intuition and that those intuitive faculties are sharing in resource just like everybody else. Lovingly. We do things lovingly. I don't think I need to say much about that. Playfully, I think we have a lot of that going on this weekend. If you've ever been over to the family family village, there's a lot of playfulness going on, and I'm sure there's fun going on in your camps too. And I, I know we're having fun over in our little pod over at the Lover's Nest. So being playful is super vital, um, and pros prosperously, pro spirit prosperous prosperity that we're experiencing prosperity prosperousness right that that's that's the prevailing wind that's you know always at our back and that we're doing things responsibly that we each take on a personal uh, commitment to our ability to respond to situations that's really the definition of responsibility. Do we have a, an ability to respond or are we reacting? And so deep value for responsibility. And synergistically, that there's actually, uh, we, there's, there's things that when we synergize actually creates a unique alchemy that isn't available unless we synergistically come together. It's just not even there. Um, and unifyingly, you know, we agree to do this as a unified field, as a unified presence, as a as an embodied oneness, not in a separatist way. That uh, this is mine and that's yours. Uh, that we come together more and upliftingly. You know, that we're continuously uplifting one another because we all have our down moments and down days, and we need to be lifted up. So a commitment to a core value of uplifting would encourage you know us to to assist our brothers and sisters as we move along this co-creative journey of life uh, of all life so i encourage each of you to come up with your own roadmap of core values and take a deeper inquiry and look at what core what are the core values that really define your life what are the core values that you notice that are operative in your respective professions or creative endeavors to see if those are alive and, and present for you um, and notice if they're not and notice notice where the rub or the tension is in the things that you're participating in 
and notice if it's because those core values aren't being honored and notice which ones aren't being honored. Um, so for me, there's some tools we need. How do we incorporate a holonomic perspective? How do we integrate core values into the agreement field? My great dream is that that value chain or the arc of value creation is that the core values that are at the foundation of all creation, that those stay intact throughout the entire arc, that the agreement fields never get broken, that every vendor, every employee, every investor, right, every stakeholder who's involved in that creation is connected to the origins and core values that were set in the original intention for creating that. And that there's an agreement field that every participant, uh, first of all, knows what those core values are, and that they have the opportunity to uphold them and to maintain that agreement field. Otherwise, the agreement field will be severed. And, and once an agreement field severed, then, then mistrust becomes prevailing. Above all these core values I just shared with you, trust, the trust frequency, has to be maintained. If we violate trust, we know this in relationship. I had a broken marriage that was violated in trust. And the ability to regain that trust, whew, once it's broke, that is a tough one to reclaim. So that's, that is like the highest order for adopting core values, is that we maintain the integrity of trust throughout, that it never gets severed, and that we can once again trust one another that we don't have to put up our guards, that we don't have to be you know, protective at all times, and that, that business is a risky proposition, and that we have to avoid risk and, and, and set up all these mechanisms to avoid risk. So for me, there's a set of technologies that, that need to be interoperable. They need to, be, they need to work for all situations wherever we are. Of course, with the, the advent of, of recent technologies, that's more available than ever. There's tools that can travel with us mobily, you know. Uh, we, we don't have to go to a textbook or something of old uh, to use these tools, they're, they're with us. And um, some of the cores of a holonomic technology uh, and technologies that, that I'm currently working on is values alignment technology. Because when cultures come together, you realize, oh, the core values of this culture and the core values of this culture um, are different. We have different sets of core values. So there's a need when we come together to co-create for those core values to go through a, a harmonizing, if you will, an alignment process. There's an aligning of core values that happen, has to happen. I mean, that's what happens in relationship when we come together as two individuals. You know, that's why we go through the period of dating and courtship and all that, because we're, we're kind of assessing the core values of one another. Where do you come from? What makes you tick? You know, what's the most precious things to you? you know? um, so values alignment technology is vital. Multivariant success factoring. We need to move beyond profit as the only thing that we're tracking. We need to move into uh, things like Bhutan as a country. They're monitoring their happiness. How happy is the country of Bhutan? And they have all these indices for doing this. My beloved Samavesha is in the front row here. She's uh, She's part of Rian Eisler's uh, Caring Coalition, Partnership Coalition, and they're introducing a whole set of social wealth economic indicators, right? So how do we start monitoring social wealth? 
uh, I like to call it enterprise value when you're talking about a specific organization or society or community. Uh, there's multi-dimensional collaborative environments because one of the challenges come is collaborating itself. Like how do we collaborate? And there's tool sets and technologies that make collaboration easier. Uh, and so to me there's some technologies that allow for multi-dimensional collaboration. Uh, Holonomics is big about shareable wealth, that we're redistributing the wealth, that it's not held by the few and sprinkled out to the many, that it's shareable wealth. And everybody who participated in the creation of that wealth or that value is, has the opportunity to share in that, that that's, that's uh, very much available. And then finally is this, uh, what I like to call is holonomic dashboarding. Uh, that there's a dashboard, much like a pilot, there's three or four hundred instruments on that panel that they're monitoring as they fly that plane through the air. And they're monitoring all kinds of things. And similarly, we need that for the types of organizations and creations and projects that we're a part of. We need to have a dashboard that allows us to monitor the well-being of our team and, uh, and making sure that the needs are being met uh, throughout the organization. And then that these new success factors are kept intact throughout the whole value creation process. Um, so that kind of completes my, uh, my, my educational piece as Professor Steve up here. But uh, yeah. So we've got about 10 minutes, uh, or how, what? Five, seven nights. We even have more time than that. It's all right if you want to stretch it out. If you want to do some Q and A. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I have uh, the wireless mic right here. I'll yeah. Bill, be patient with me as I step through. Either stand up first. I'll be right. All right. Here we are. Hello. Stephen, it's been a pleasure to work with you and uh, design the A-list system together. Um, one of the things I thought would be really helpful uh, in this group yeah. would be to uh, speak about it in a practical terms of a festival. So how would the holonomic perspective work in a setting like this, the Sydney Festival? And how would that shared system of economics work in exactly. the perspective? No, it's a great question. Yeah, in fact, one of the things that uh, when I kind of got, when I had this dream, one of the things was, well, where does, where does this begin to be practically applied? And, and uh, events and festivals was one of the first places that I saw that it would have practical application because uh, I'm friends with a lot of event producers and connected to a number of events over the past many years. And I find a lot of them wanting. There's, there's, um, there's certain segments of these events that are not necessarily left feeling fully valued. Um, and the value exchange is in question. Um, and so when I look at the economics of a festival, I, I look at everything from a paid ticket holder, to artists, to workshop facilitators, to vendors, to volunteers, to production staff, right? I mean, if you think of what it takes to create this experience of this container that we're all enjoying this weekend, um, there's a lot of people that have participated, right? One of the hallmarks of sacred commerce is participation. There's tons of participation going on here. Now, how is all of that participation being valued, right? Uh, Lucidity's, you know, I think, taken some progressive steps toward creating some dynamic and holonomic approaches to uh, balancing that value exchange. And, and so they have some equations that they've introduced regarding volunteerism, for example. So if you volunteer a certain number of hours per day, um, 
that's the exchange for your ticket, for example. So there's a, a one example uh, of that happening. Um, uh, the other is is uh, is is how vendors, how the vendor relationship works, or how the artist relationship works, right? And or even myself, I, I'm under a I'm under a, an exchange for bringing a series of workshops and presentations together uh, here with my beloved. You know, we're we're bringing this conversation to the forefront here for the people attending the festival, and so that's programming or content. We're bringing content. Uh, to the program here, and there's an exchange for that, you know. So we get to use the shower once a day for free, you know. For example, we we get we get we don't have to pay the three dollars to take a shower today, so that I smell good up here on the podium, you know. It's like so, but thank you. I mean, there's there's many ways that that can happen, and and one of the ways that that Patrick and I are working on is really to create a point system that can travel with you. That it's not exclusively not does the completion of the exchange have to end here? That those that those the value of exchange that is generated here because there's enterprise value that gets created above and beyond the quid pro quo of a traditional exchange. But there's something more magical that happens when two or more are gathered. Right? This third thing happens. What is that? Well, how are we valuing that third thing? Well, let's call, let's throw that into some kind of reward system, come some kind of points universe that allows us to have our avatar in the festival world and let that avatar accumulate points that can be exchanged with other festivals. Why not? Why not allow a whole economy of cooperation and collaboration, you know, work in the festival community? Right, and allow shared resources to happen, so that we don't have to reinvent the wheel every time. So, those are some of the ways I would see it. There, uh, there was another hand back here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for your Um, 
I'm, I spent a lot of years in the environmental space. Uh, I built an environmental media company. I worked at the intersection of advocacy, regulatory, and corporate social responsibility for many years. And so I have an intimate knowledge of kind of the workings of that. And there are people that are specialists at navigating through the power of love into those corridors and to navigate that without causing uh, friction, without causing additional uh, constriction. Because I believe that the atrocities against individual and collective sovereignty is, is a constriction. It's a constriction and it's based in fear. And so the salve to fear is love. And so again, I refer back to the core valuing and that as we amass in an anchoring of core values, we are reclaiming our sovereignty as individuals, as collectives, and as those collectives unite. Uh, what I like to use is a quote from John F. Kennedy, a, ri a rising tide lifts all boats. Okay, so to me, we have an opportunity to rise the tide. Water seeks its own level. So as that tide rises, those cultures and communities that have not experienced their true sovereignty in this generation uh, can start to feel the healing salve of that rising tide. It will soothe their wounds. It will soothe their heartache. And it will restore them to a sense of wholeness again and a feeling of connectedness to other tribes. Okay, so that's where I come from. Outside of a festival, um, there's a lot more into the, the world that's uh, not so privy to some of these discussions. That are not, yeah. There can be a lot of stress that clouds um, business decisions. Yeah. And uh, once you once you enter into that that side of the world, um, there's bound to be a lot of discrepancy in how to um, have some of these core values play out. The so have you, have you designed or thought about specific mechanisms used to resolve kind of the maintenance of that core value and yeah, how it plays out on microscale? Almost every one of my engagements involves a discussion of core values at some level. Um, I consider myself a, a bit of a bridge walker because I can be in a corporate boardroom just as easily as I can be here at this festival. Um, so I'm fortunate that I can speak the language of the corporate boardroom as easily as I can, you know, be with my peeps, so to speak, right? Um, but what I'm doing is inviting this conversation into that boardroom. And the reason the boardroom is risk averse um, is because the trust frequency has been broke. There's a lot of mistrust that pervades a lot of, uh, a lot of the corporate structure, a lot of the governance structures uh, that are in play. And so um, it is a journey. It's, there's not a quick uh, you know, uh, pill you can drop to uh, kind of eliminate that or eradicate that in a situation. But what we can be individually, and that's what I invite each of us to do as we leave here uh, this weekend, is that we take this conversation you know, back into our respective organizations and, and projects and, 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 and take that deeper inquiry in there to see uh, to see how we can influence that. that, that we're very powerful beings and that if we invite this into the center of the conversation and that there's an understanding of, of why are we doing that? 
why are we at this juncture? Why are we, that's, a, that's an interruption. That's gonna to take too much time. I mean, these are the responses I see. We don't have time to do a three-day core values retreat. We've, we've got orders we've got to fill. We've got to do this. We've, you know, we need to raise money. We need to do the, and it's like, um, but the problem is, is the way we're raising money, the way we're running the production line, the way we're making sales um, is out of integrity because the core values haven't been anchored. And so the, the place I start always is in core values. Uh, and seeing if the organization that I'm being invited to come consult with has core values. Are there core values? Because you can't create an agreement field that's anchored in core values if the core values haven't even been established. So that's the place that I like to see things start, is get the core values conversation going. Like, what's really the most important thing that's going on here? Is it that we're making widgets? Or is it that we're coming together as great creators and that we're co-creating in a sovereign environment that is upholding these universal core values for the benefit of all. Not just us as, as co-creators, but for the recipients. And that for me, I like to say, it's not enough for a for to make transformational products or services for the world if the organization that creates them isn't as transformational as the products or services they're making. Like, we need to, we need to adopt an environment of transformation. That, because life is transformative. They say the only thing true in life is change, right? And it's amazing how rig rigidified we can get and be resistant to change. But if we fully embrace change and we fully embrace transformation as a way of life, then we realize life is iterating all the time. I mean, go sit in a forest for a month. I mean, you wanna watch iteration? You wanna watch change? I mean, you wanna watch symbiosis alive at work? You know, go do that. I really encourage you to spend as much time in nature as you can, because nature will show you the dynamic, uh, you know, iteration of life. You know, the the tech dev world has figured it out. They've come up with agile development environments and ways to ways to be very responsive to the indicators that are coming in for how to create craft and create functionality and usability of, of technology. We need to incorporate that into our economic models. We need to incorporate that into our organizing models. So that's maybe a long answer to a short question. <laughs> yeah. Any other questions? Hey, Steve. Um, so in your core value conversation, all, all the words ended with L-Y. Yes. Could you speak into that a little bit as far as really refining what a core value how to define this for ourselves. And second piece on that is, um, uh, I think one of the things that we can do as a group is just to recognize the power of our purse and the choices we make, and how we're spending our money and our time. Yes. Really is a foundational evolution. Piece. Thank yeah. you. So for core values, I mean, it really gets into a very deep interpersonal inquiry. What's of value to me? How do I value myself? How do I value my creativity? How do I value my time? How do I value the resources that I have access to? Whatever those are. Am I even connected to the fact that I'm connected to resources? Or am I living in a false belief that I'm in lack or limitation? Those are deeper spiritual inquiries. The reason that I had adjusted the core values I share with you to end in LY uh, was 
because they're part of answering the question of how do you do? How do you do what you do? Well, I do it lovingly. I do it authentically. I do it transparently. Right? So to me, that was kind of the framing of core value that was, that's evolved over time for me. I, it just, but recently I've seen that making the core value, uh, the key word, which really the deeper exercise when I take clients through core values work is to actually agree on the definition of what that means. And that every person that comes into the field, um, they get trained in that understanding of that core value so that they understand what it means as well. Because that's, that's another reason agreements fields, that there's misunderstanding even of what the core value is. So um, having really solid definitions of the core value is very helpful as well. So, thank you. So is holonomics more about uh, creating new alternative uh, systems of economics within the existing system rather than uh, promoting general macro policies or just creating decentralized a, different modes? It's, it's a great question. Um, I really feel like um, the existing systems with all their flaws are a bit too unwieldy to kind of... Uh, it, it, it's it's difficult. I, I spent many years, uh, you know, with other models doing that. Um, it takes some pretty big forces to create shifts uh, within those constructs uh, because they've been rigidified a bit. Uh, they're a little uh, stuck, and the governance systems that support them are not necessarily holocratic either. Uh, it's very difficult to affect change in those systems. So for me, it, yes, it's about it's about creating new cooperative models and systems and technologies that start to show uh, microcosms of effectiveness. Because people won't, so the reason the environmental movement took a while to get going, uh, and I was kind of on the early curve of it, the reason it took a while to get going is because people thought, well, if I buy organic versus this, um, there's no money in it because it costs so much extra to do that. Or, you know, there's these inequities or perceptions that to do things that are more in balance with life costs more, right? There was that misperception. But as soon as you can show something that is actually both feels good and performs well and the value proposition feels equitable and it just it makes us feel good all over it makes us it actually gets us excited to be a part of it then it, it takes on a life of its own and it, don't, it doesn't require permission any longer right it's just like this is self-evident it's self-governing because it's it's anchored in those core values and everybody that's being drawn to it is really loving that and they're contributing to that they're they're helping mature that and core values do change they evolve they evolve so it's something that we as a collective, continue to revisit those and make sure that they're staying current with our evolution, uh, you know, a, as a collective, uh, at whatever level that is, within our own life, within our family, within our community, within our society, you know, that that's how it evolves. But to me, it's grassroots, you know. It, it is that, it's that rooting and the sprouting of new possibility. And to me, when we start to see new possibility and actually see it at work, 
So like what I'm working with Patrick, to your right, we're standing up a technology where these holonomic perspectives are gonna be tangible and visible and at work. And the participants that use that technology are gonna feel that. And they're gonna feel that balance and they're gonna feel that equanimity and it's just gonna feel good. And why would we do it the old way any longer? Why, why don't we just do it this way? Because we can, we have the power of choice, right? That's our sovereignty. Our sovereignty is in our power of choice and we get to choose. And, um, and choosing new ways that, you know, new possibility arises. And, and it's, it's, it's just that the old systems will, people will stop using them, right? Why, why use something that doesn't really feel good? I'm gonna use the thing that does feel good. So, it's not about against, it's for. What am I for? And to continually, continuously ask ourselves that. You know, what do I stand for? It's been part of my initiation. Like, what do I stand for? Thank you very much, Stephen. Okay. Uh, everybody give a hand to Stephen. Thank you, thank you all for coming. So, well, everyone, that concludes this week's episode. If you have enjoyed this positive download, please take a minute, give us a rating or review on iTunes, since iTunes is the holy grail of all things podcasting. Uh, your good reviews help us to reach more listeners. Also, we would be extremely appreciative if you would tell your friends and family about the show. Our sincere intent with the Positive Head podcast is to spread positivity to the world because, well, because we're selfish, quite honestly. Uh, I say that jokingly, but really only halfway joking. I'm referring to the good kind of selfish based on the knowing that we all get what we give in this life because when we give, we're actually always giving to extensions of self since we're all really one in the same consciousness just in different bodies. So if you want to be a good selfish along with us by helping to spread the positivity, by all means, please proceed to shout about the Positive Head podcast from your rooftop. <laughs> Otherwise, as you continue on your fabulous journey in this 3D reality, be sure to remember this. As long as you ain't dead, you're already positive ahead. Journey well, everyone, and thank you for being.